looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want to host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This is David Hero, the leader of the Super Friends, and I want you to make sure you continue to listen to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. 
Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. As I've been known to do recently the past couple months, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest was brought to you by Dr. Mike Lano, as usual. But I'm well aware of this guy because he's a wrestling promoter. He actually just had a big show that you may or may not have heard about. Huge. Huge. Sold out to the rafters. And he's got a picture in the background, which they raised a lot of money for. But also in his background, rumor has it, he is in real estate. And he also owned and managed a Dairy Queen franchise, which it was not. And I went there because everybody knows of the infamous Jim Cornette tape, but it was not his franchisee. Let's welcome David Hero. But Dr. Mike, you had something you wanted to add to that? Uh, well, a couple of things. But first, he's in good company because a good friend of mine, Bobby Davis, well, who passed a couple of years ago, but he was the first huge WWF manager in the late 50s, 60s of Buddy Rogers, Magnificent Maurice, Handsome Johnny Barron. He owned, when he retired and everything, and he and Buddy Rogers and Johnny Valentine were all still best friends. And they came in my TV studio like around 89, 91. And Bobby Davis, owned, well, he owned a couple of uh, Dairy Queen franchises in like uh, mid the mid portion of California, as well as a couple of Burger Kings. He, this guy was like, one of the super sharp guys that retained his money, a la Luthez, weren't that many guys. So David Hero is in good company. David Hero is one of the, and I picked him because a photographer brother of mine, between Napolitano and myself, Bob Mulrennan, went out to Wisconsin to this event, Blizzard Brawl, and he said how amazing it was. I didn't get a lot of details, but I thought, you know, I went to David Hero's uh, in 2015 at the Mania, put on this tremendous event for, uh, centered around Kevin Nash, but like everybody, there was a ton of TNA people there and uh, Melina, uh, you know, who was fresh off uh, out of WWE and so many other folks. But this is a gentleman who does a lot. He contributes a lot back to the biz as he did with Blizzard Brawl, which I think David can correct me promotes annually. But this time was special because it raised uh, reportedly uh, at least over 10,000, maybe that even more than that for the victims and families, et cetera, affected by that, uh, you can talk about that, the horrific uh, Christmas parade. And we all think of Christmas parades as something you know, fun and magical, but uh, boy, the people were hurting there. But this is a gentleman, and I, I normally know the folks I'm gonna bring on to this show or my 20 year long show with Evan Ginsberg, uh, but I don't know as much as I should. I know that all of the boys in the biz love this guy. He can just put out, a tweet or something. He's the king of wrestling social media and all of these folks, Serena Deeb and, and the former Braun Strowman and EC3, all of these magnificent folks. And if you look at the poster for Blizzard Brawl, which occurred last Saturday, yes, uh, yeah, man, it was just packed. It looked like a thousand names, uh, photos on there. So here's a gentleman who has the absolute best name. I don't think, I don't know if he's ever been a worker, the best name for a worker, David Hero, with two R's, H-E-R-R-O. And am I pronouncing it correctly, Dave? Yes, absolutely. You nailed it. And you know what it is? And a lot of people have often wondered, 
Oh, is that your real name? Yes, it absolutely is my, my real last name. So you're working as brother. Nah, you know what? I wish. Believe it or not, I mean, it, it's funny because whenever someone meets me, oh, really? That that's your real last name? I show them my driver's license or whatever else it is, and it's usually I get that. And the other thing I normally get is, wow, you're a lot bigger than I thought you were. You know, so. But yeah, no, I mean, you're last week, like, what are you? You're you're as tall as Nash. You're like six seven, aren't you? You're big. Uh, I'm, I'm six five. Nash makes me feel tiny, you know. But um, yeah, no, I'm six five, three oh five, and yeah, absolutely. That's why I only go to the ring to make special announcements because I'm bigger than ninety eight percent of the guys on the show lately. So you well, couldn't get hired with... as a ring announcer, a uh, no, an announcer to uh, interview the boys. They never yeah. hire tall guys because you would outshine guys like Bill Dundee or. Uh, you know, Lord knows Johnny Gargano or, you know, folks that are superbly talented, but just not tall. Correct. Yes. Well, let's so. start with Blizzard Ball from last Saturday. Obviously, we mentioned it was a sellout. So how and Dr. Mike mentioned it was a for a good cause. So what can you tell us about the show? Blizzard Brawl is an annual event for me. Uh, the first year I did it, I believe, was in 2005. That was the year that uh, the wrestler that made Milwaukee famous, the Crusher, had passed. And originally, Blizzard Brawl was supposed to be a tribute show for the Crusher. Fortunately, um, some things didn't all line up, and um, not all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed on other, on other ends. So we went from having a Crusher fest uh, to a Blizzard Brawl. And um, the event has been amazing. It's It started out supposed to be a one-off and now here i am 16 years later still doing blizzard brawl and everything but i spoke with um braun Strowman over the summer at one of my uh summer events that we did and he said he was interested in doing something and a lot of people always are interested in doing something until it's time to do something and uh i got a hold of ec3 and i said hey i spoke with adam over the summer um i, I have his number you want to give him a heads up that i'm going to reach out and we did. We reached out. We spoke. He just built a house 20 minutes away from the Waukesha County Expo. So it's his backyard. He has a lot of family up here in Waukesha. We decide we're going to do it. We make the big announcement. With his social media, the whole thing goes viral. It's, it, 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 it's huge for us. Tickets are selling like crazy. Everything is rolling. And then unfortunately, at the Waukesha Christmas Parade, we had the incident where some idiot decided to drive through the parade and run over children and dancing grandmothers and families were torn and ruined and it, it was chaos. And for me, that parade is something I had walked in many a years, handing out flyers to promote Blizzard Brawl. I hadn't done it the last couple. Um, so it, 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 it was, it really struck close to home besides it truly being close to home. And Adam gave me a call. He's like, hey, what do you want to do for the people of Waukesha? And I says, well, I figured we would do like, you know, a, an auction or a raffle or whatever else. He's like, nah. He goes, Mike and I are going to donate all of our meet and greet money. Wow. And when he told me that, it gave me goosebumps. Even to this day, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because I know how much money formerly known as Braun Strowman is worth, you know? And I says, you know, I go, Adam, that's going to be 10 to 15 grand. He's like, yeah, I know. He goes, fortunately, with the career that I've already had, I can 
I can do this. And he did. And him and EC3, it's a little bit over $10,000 they raised in a little over two hours, keep in mind. So the meet and greet was from five until seven, and they just killed it. And uh, it was amazing the, the the people of Waukesha spent a ton of money that night at Blizzard Brawl. Um, it was close to 2,000 people bought tickets to uh, come into the event. And uh, it was a magical moment. It, you know, I've had some big shows in that building over the years. I, I had the very first NWO versus DX when it was Road Dog and Billy against Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. We packed the place there. I've had the Road Warrior. I've had Demolition team with Road Warrior Animal in that building. I've had a Piper's Pit in that building. I've had a lot of amazing things. But this year, having, you know, the Titan Adam Shearer main event at Blizzard Brawl, by far the, the biggest event I've had in that building. Especially a hometown boy. But and it's great that you guys raised that much money in a short amount of time. But with the meet and greet and stuff, I want to go on a little lighter side than this sure. serious uh, tragedy. Because you know how shit goes on the internet, and you've been around the promoting game for a while. Yeah. yeah. But I guess it was back in the summer, maybe September, as a collector of memorabilia and all myself, mm-hmm. as a fan. I heard a rumbling that there was an issue with folks released from WWE saying they couldn't sign that name. Say with Adam Shear, he couldn't sign Braun Strowman stuff. Is that really true or was it just you, you internet bullshit? I, I'm sure that there was some truth to it, but there is no way they can hold it up. There's no way they can actually police everything that is being signed. And, you know, for some reason, I don't know what's going on in the Titan Towers. It's a little kabuki-ish, I guess, going on over there. But um, if that was a fact, it was very short-lived because I have seen a lot of talents signing a lot of their formerly known as names on a lot of different things over the last few months. Yeah, and the reason I say that, it's funny because especially when you're released from there, a lot of guys and gals do conventions, shows like yours, the independent scene where they're known for X, whether it be Braun Strowman or Bo Dallas or whoever you want to go down the list. So I just, when I heard that, thought it was real kabuki-ish. You'd have to ink date it. You'd have to do illegal ink dating, which is impossible. So they would never know were they with the company still when they signed it, because they do allow them at certain uh, small events uh, like out in California to, do little signings here and there. So they would, you know, they'd have to ink date it and then prove you were out and released from the company. So no, it's, I I agree. It's, it would be impossible to uh, prosecute. Yeah. But I figured David would be for being in the game and for 20 years or so since 96 doing a promoting side along with other things we'll get into. I just thought it was like, he wouldn't be the man. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've seen a lot of guys do a lot of signings, public, private, whatever. Even at Blizzard Brawl itself, you know, D'Lo Brown is signing D'Lo Brown. Val Venus is signing Val Venus. You know, Braun Strowman was signing Braun Strowman, you know, as was EC3. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they they could have tried, but there's no way that would have held up in court. There's no way. Yeah, because then you're preventing somebody from making a living in a traditional way you would post. Yeah. 
Yeah. Big and company. all they got to do is in real small letters do that FKA, formerly known as, on there if they wanted to. Didn't. Yes. So uh, I wanted to also ask, since we're talking promoting and stuff, there was a little story I had heard, and we know, again, everything on the internet is true, that your sure. son has actually gotten into wrestling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Fanny Pat Kid, Cal Hero. Up until three years ago, he had zero interest in doing pro wrestling. None at all. He, he liked coming to the shows. He loved being a part of the Pro Wrestling Report TV show with me, but no interest. And then one summer, I was doing some shows um, for Six Flags Great America down in the Chicagoland area. And Cal was there um, with Al Snow's son, Evan. And they're like, oh, we can do that. We can be just as good as them. We can do this. I'm like, well, try it. See, see if you can. You know, you know, hey, you know, let's call your bluff on it. And uh, Cal started training up here in Milwaukee with uh, Angel Armani, who helped help train Silas Young and Juice Robinson and Austin Aries. And um, he started to pick it up much, much quicker than I thought he would have. And uh, he started to get rolling. And Tommy Dreamer found out that, you know, Cal was training and wanted Tommy. For a period of about three years, Tommy Dreamer took over Blizzard Brawl with the House of Hardcore brand. And uh, Tommy's like, hey, I want Cal to wrestle, you know, uh, for me. And so it was Cal and Al Snow against Jay Bradley. And at the time, Cal's number one nemesis, Robbie E., who is now Robert Stone in NXT. And uh, very exciting for him. You know, we had a packed crowd. Uh, Cal and Al defeated Robbie and, and Jay Bradley. Cal got to, you know, he, he pinned uh, Robbie because Robbie was on his way to NXT. And I told Cal, it's all downhill after this kid. <laughs> I go, the Indies, the Indies are rough. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be easy. And then sure enough, what happens shortly after that COVID happens and his training had, had, had to come to a little bit of a halt. Um, and then I spoke with Al and I said, hey, I go, Cal's serious about this. He's like, well, set him down OVW. And, you know, Al's my best friend in the universe. And so Cal lives with Al and he trains at OVW with Al and, and Doug Basham. And he's been down there full time since February. They just got uh, Cal and his partner, Dustin Jackson. They just won the OVW Tag Team Championship a couple weeks ago um, as the Fanny Pack Party. And, uh, you know, he's having a blast and he's enjoying it and he's learning. And uh, the amazing thing is he's surrounded by amazing people, amazing talents. He has a lot of uncles in the wrestling business that have watched him grown up. Um, so whether he's in an impact wrestling locker room an AEW locker room or raw or SmackDown, there is somebody there that is always looking out for him and watching his back, which makes me breathe a little bit easier and brings my anxiety down quite a bit more. Dr. Mike, do you have anything? Oh, a ton. Uh, Al Snow, I'm going to send you David, his rookie photos. I've known Al Snow since he started. I'm not as close to him as you are, but uh for example like it I, the only thing i ever promoted was a three-day wrestling marathon as part of my three-day sam munchnik convention in st louis that was one of my favorite territories in the 60s and 70s to shoot and uh, al came in with george cannon and i think sabu they drove they picked up cannon this was um, may of 1990 uh right in st louis and it, it, all of the boys i mean i had luthes as my mc funks briscoes penny banner Ox Baker, Killer Kowalski, Bob Backlund, 
uh, Ted DiBiase, but they all trans themselves in and WWF through Lanza and WCW through Dusty and Bill Watts sent in talent. Not and they nice. all paid their way in like Cauliflower Alley, not because I asked them or anything, but because it was for Sam and the money raised went to Sam's favorite charity, the Arthritis Foundation there. But I have like Al Costello managing Al Snow as the last derivation of the fabulous kangaroos with yes. Danny Cass who passed away. I'm going to yes. send you those photos. And I also at a Memphis convention that same year, I had Al and Al Costello pose with the other, la the, well, the, the second incarnation of the fabulous kangaroos uh, with Bulldog Don Kent. They were managed yes. by George Cannon. So I didn't get Cannon in the shot, but you, you're going to see a young Al Snow. And I've covered his entire career pretty much <laughs> yes. everywhere. Him and I Dave. love I love those kind of pictures of Al. They're, they're very entertaining for me. You can use it as a black belt, but Al Snow is terrific guy i want to know because you're like one of these guys i don't know but i know all the boys love you and would drop anything and i think i'm, I'm guessing but correct me if i'm wrong for blizzard brawl this year a lot of other names that maybe didn't wrestle on the card maria canalis jeff jarrett folks all somehow very quickly got on board and came out for you i mean the, the amount of names you had from uh, Hebner, Earl Hebner, Ruffing, and ODB. I, I forgot, it. I think she lives in the Wisconsin area. But Serena Deeb on the show, who's yeah. one of the best women wrestlers on the planet. Yeah. Uh, it, it, just, it was amazing. So where did you grow up and how, I'm guessing you grew up as a fan, but how did you get involved in the biz? So I wasn't a fan early on. One of the very first wrestling events my dad took me to was Crusher versus Mad Dog at the Mecca Arena. Really? And I hated it. I didn't enjoy it at all. We actually left early. I know he was devastated. And it wasn't until I want to say I was in sixth grade and I saw the Iron Sheik defeat Bob Backlund on the USA Network on cable television. And I was like, oh, my God, I go, Iron Sheik, look at this guy. What a character, you know, and the next Saturday I'm going through all the channels to try to find that wrestling again. I didn't jot down what channel it was or whatever. And I came across the Road Warriors on Georgia Championship Wrestling. I was hooked after that. And then, of course, you know, I, I, I found a wrestling challenge and superstars and TNT and huge wrestling fans. So in 96, I opened up a sports store in Milwaukee called Hero Sports Page. Mm -hmm. It was Packers, Bucks, Brewers, Bulls. It was just, you know, all the major sports teams, baseball cards, action figures, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And um WAUK Sports Radio, which was an ESPN affiliate, came into my store. They're looking for advertisers. And they saw I had a very small section of pro wrestling figures. And, uh, you know, wrestling was starting to get pretty hot at that time. And they asked me if I was interested in advertising. And absolutely, of course, I was. Because at the time, I was bringing in Green Bay Packers into my store for appearances. Because with them being in the Super Bowl, Packer autographs, that was gold in, in, in the Wisconsin area. Uh, eventually, you know, wrestling became bigger and better. And somehow I connected with Kimberly Page on AOL Instant Messenger. And her screen name was WCW Kim 10, appropriately. And her and I started talking back and forth. And I told her I wanted to bring in different wrestlers into my store to replace the Packers. And she hooked me up with Dennis Brent in the WCW offices. So I talked with Dennis. I told him, you know, what I wanted to do. He said, well, hey, we're going to be in Milwaukee for a Clash of Champions. 
How about if you get us a radio remote in your store, we'll supply the talent for free. I was like, well, this is great. I'm already, I'm already working with ESPN, you know? So I contact my guy at ESPN radio. They charged me $250 for a live remote out of my store. So originally they asked me who I wanted. They said, did you want uh, Ray Mysterio, Arn Anderson, the Steiner brothers? I wanted Ray, but where my store was located, I didn't know if it was conducive. So I went with the Steiner brothers because of course, you know, they were the, you know, top tag team at the time. And right before the Steiners were going to make it, something happened where they got pulled and they gave me Dallas Page, which I thought was appropriate because Kimberly hooked up everything for me. So prior to Dallas getting there, I spoke with Dennis Brent and he started uh, hooking me up on the retail end of WCW, which they had zero clue what they were doing at the time. And I was buying WCW t-shirts, hats, pennants, I think DVDs or CDs at the time, um, all of their official licensed merchandise, I was buying it direct from them, selling it in my store, which was amazing. NWO t-shirts um, for way below what I thought I should have been buying them for, but that's what they were selling them for. So um, Monday Night Raw is on. I'm all excited about Dallas coming in on Tuesday, and Dallas goes out there and hits a diamond cutter on Scott Hall and turns down the NWO makes him now the number one baby face in the entire company. So on a Tuesday afternoon, I believe it was in January or February, and it was cold. We had about 500 people in line outside the store waiting to meet Dallas Page. So Dallas and I hit it off. He became one of the very first guys I truly met and got to know. He put his name on me early. Uh, the show was, a, you know, the signing was a big success. WCW was very happy with me. They said, every time we come to Milwaukee, we are going to do something at your store with an, with an appearance, which was fantastic. I then, a week later, called up WWF, and I said, hey, I go, I'd like to do something with you. I just did this with WCW. I know you're coming to town on this date. What can we do to make this work? And they said, we're interested in doing something, but you have to get, in, get a hold of the local promoter in your area. I said, okay, well, what is his name? And they go, his name is Jack Koshik. Jack Koshik is my third cousin. <laughs> I had no idea he was the local rep for WWF at the time. So I call up cousin Jack. We spoke. We agreed on putting something together. And um, he brought the Road Warriors to my store on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, which was, it was amazing again, because that was the team that got me hooked. Prior to the Road Warriors coming, uh, they contacted me and said, hey, we want to do a press conference at your store to promote the event. You want Vader or Steve Austin? Steve Austin was on his way up at the time, but he wasn't quite truly stone cold. Vader had just beaten up that reporter in Kuwait, and I knew that was the hook to get all the news. So I had the C CBS, NBC, Fox, and ABC stations in my store for that press conference. And... Um, the WWF official, his name was Mike Ivanko, comes in the store. He loved the layout, how everything was put together. He's like, but hey, what's the deal with all this WCW merchandise? I says, well, no one's gotten back to me from your office to purchase stuff from you directly. He's like, well, next time I come to town, I want to see the store looking different. <laughs> so this was on a Sunday. On Tuesday afternoon, FedEx comes over. A big box is dropped off from, from Stanford. And there's a note inside, first order is on us. 
And it was order forms and a box of T-shirts and memorabilia from WWF. Mm. So I'm now buying directly from both companies, WWF and WCW. I think I'm the only store in the nation at the time doing it. And um, everything else, the timing was right. I met some other independent wrestlers that wanted to do shows. Again, timing was everything. And Great Lakes Championship Wrestling was born. So I was doing... Uh, the live events with with Great Lakes Championship Wrestling. I was doing personal appearances out of my store. Uh, the last signing I did in my store was with The Rock. And um, what did he ever it, do? Yeah, right. Uh, I, I I believe it was three grand I paid him to come and do a three hour appearance. Whoa. Three grand, three grand wouldn't get me three seconds today. You know what I mean? So, but uh, you know, for me, extremely blessed. Timing was everything. I got to work with everybody. Uh, my, my, my parents taught me everything as a relationship business. So make sure you do what you say you're going to do. And that's what I've always done. And, um, you know, for me, I I've been fortunate because through the pro wrestling report with, uh, Damian Nelson, we did that show for, I think 15 years itself. We were the quote unquote, not dirt sheet show where we would just talk about wrestling opinions and thoughts. And we were the only guys at the time that the talent wasn't afraid to come on the show with us because they knew we weren't going to expose any breaking news or behind the scenes stuff. So uh, trust was established. And from hero sports page to great lakes championship wrestling, the PWR, we did the shenanigans parties at WrestleMania hosted by Kevin Nash. And uh, th that's usually the only time you will see talent from all the different companies under one roof together at the same time. And for me, that's very flattering as well, too. So, again, it's just everything was lined up. If it wouldn't have been the late 90s, I wouldn't have had the opportunities because everyone had their guard down a little bit and they were more interested in making money as, as they are today. And, uh, yeah, just it was an amazing time for me. Very quick thing. Uh, Dennis Brent was one of my editors. I was on staff at WCW Magazine the whole run of it. And uh, Dennis and I both have MS, but he was hit quite a bit harder. I'm on meds. I can get around and stuff. Uh, if you keep up with Dennis now, he's wheelchair bound. Uh, we honored him about five years ago at Cauliflower Alley and he sat next to me and uh, great guy. And also uh, quickly on Dwayne Johnson, if you haven't seen the brief clip of him on the People's Choice Award, he gives a great story of how he asked Muhammad Ali when he was a heel with WWF if he could, uh, like, guess 99 or something, 98 if he could use the people's champion gimmick, which Ali had come up with. Yeah. The, Ali gave him his blessing and he said, I, I won't do it if you don't want me to. So a very cool story from last night. Most people were tuned into uh, NXT. Uh, Jonathan, let me throw back to you. Well, it's been mentioned a couple of times here. Pro Wrestling Report. I know it faced, or not faced, but existed in a couple of different forms one with the ESPN local affiliate that you mentioned, but then went on to Sinclair Broadcasting, which is quite unique. So over the years of that show, and like you said, you weren't a gotcha kind of show or behind the scenes and anything, but do you have a favorite moment that stood out from doing that show or several? You know what? For me, there was lots of them. I mean, to have Gene Okerlund be on the show with us, for me and Gene to put his name on the show, was huge. Um, one of my, to quote him, to quote me and Gene, one of my dear, close, personal, longtime friends. Um, but just how at any given moment, Kevin Nash or Al Snow or 
or or uh, Seth Rollins or Steve Austin or J- could just pop up and be on the show. And we weren't, there was no agenda. It was just talking pro wrestling and opinions and thoughts. And it was a show that, you know, we tried to channel our inner Bobby Heenan's and Gorilla Monsoons. That's why it was named Primetime. For me, I got away with saying more stuff on that show than I ever dreamt I could have. And I came across as the baby face. And Damien was the voice of reason and people would always get on his case. So, I mean, for me, it was the most fun I've ever had doing wrestling because it was creative freedom and laughs and the camaraderie and uh, the chemistry that I had with Damian Nelson. Like, that's why I haven't done another show since, because what Damian and I had, I mean, I, I doubt I could ever have that with anybody else. Well, I'll put it this way. And this was early on and we've had, or I've had Al on previously fun guy. Guys got stories out the ass, but yes, Mike, I'm sure you've heard some of these stories or not, but the first time I heard of David's name early on was because of Al telling stories, not Al telling me directly. And this was when you were doing pro wrestling report road stories for YouTube and such with Al. And he would tell the story about the horses and all that stuff. But then he'd be yelling at David, don't kill us, because he'd be driving in that Midwest weather. <laughs> Milwaukee, yes, Chicago, exactly. and the midget yes. stories. And that's how I first really go, oh, yeah. that's that guy that, you know, I heard doing the other stuff. So, uh, Mike, yeah. are you familiar with those stories, such as the horses and stuff that go on in the independent scene? Horses? No, I yes. mean, I know... Al from riding around with him uh, before this, and he would tell me that, you know, he grew up uh, as a Pampero Furpo mark. He grew up obviously in Ohio and Johnny Powers and Pedro Martinez were promoting with a lot of the Sheiks guys. And I was very close with Furp from about 68 Honolulu on and his daughter, Mary, I, th- I don't know if we brought, if I brought Mary on the show crazy train here, but not she- yet. She had me fly up when he passed in January of last year. She had me fly up to give the last of the speeches at his funeral memorial. And then I was a pallbearer. Uh, and he and I had been very close. Like when he re debuted back in the AWA, I think it was 75 after he left my home base of Los Angeles LaBelle, um, we came in on the same flight. And, uh, and then I went with him and that night, just hours later, he teams up with Joe LaDuke against the Valiants who were coming in. They had just left Vince Sr. This is just Jimmy and John after their first huge two-year run. And uh, so Al would tell me stuff like, and he's probably told David this. So I don't, I'm not aware of these stories. You'll have to tell me. I'll shut up in a sec. But Al was such a firm mark that the... Uh, uh, the growls and the ooh yes stuff that obviously Randy Savage would take and craft and, and credit FERP for the his oh yeah, but it was FERPs and the growls and stuff. That was all, you know, Al Snow doing that in ECW and later WWF. That was all Pampero Furpo. And, um, and then Al told me the one about FERP would tell the marks at the Sheik's TV in the 70s. I think Dave Brzezinski followed up. Dave Hero might know Dave Brzezinski well too who, uh, anyway, he's a photographer brother of mine, and he put the program together in the 70s for the Sheik at Kobo Arena that they sold to the Marks. But uh, FERP would tell the uh, the green enhancement talent, the jobbers, 
Uh, I have a, a, a poor FERP impression, but he goes, do not hit me from here to here or I will die. He, you know, he would say, oh, I had this intestinal stuff. He just didn't want to be hit in the gut. You know, <laughs> of course, maybe potatoed, yeah. accidentally potatoed by one of the boys. So what are the, the Al Snow stories? Because I got a good one of Al trying to steal a girl I brought with me to that Memphis convention. Oh. Al tried to sweet talk her and she wouldn't leave my side. But it was funny. He was vying for the same uh, gal I brought out from California. Well, I you can't know, do, them do the stories justice. But Dave, I'm sure well, you know you them know well. I mean, I, I can't do them justice as well, but what they are is they're all train wreck stories on the Indies, whether it be wrestling promoters that decided that they wanted to, to, to ride horses to the ring that got spooked and they <laughs> jump around and they crap all over the arena, or he winds up driving a van full of drunken midgets from town to town while he's hosting midget wrestling. And they all get into a fight at an IHOP and get kicked out of IHOP. But I mean, it's, and it's, it's the stuff that you could not make up. I mean, it's so crazy. It has to be real. And, you know, Al has that, you know, amazing timing and just his cadence when he tells these stories, but they're all the place. And, you know, I, I think you got Al's book in your hand. Yes, it's I real. do. They're all in the book, which it, it's just amazing. Well, Mike, I have an extra copy of Al's book that I will be sending you with that other book that you asked me about. And I, I've been bad about it, but. I definitely want to include uh, Al's book. Al, when you hear his promos too, his promos have a touch of Pampero Furpo. So if anybody doesn't know Pampero Furpo, like I was on Busted Open last Saturday, they wanted somebody to talk about Dory Dixon, who I knew well. I go, I can't believe this guy's on the Mount Rushmore, my Mount Rushmore of African-American wrestlers. There was a, you know, you look at the new day today, these three guys that look after each other, legit, you know, not, well, they're, shoot, they're real friends. But in that period, you know, after um, Jim Mitchell, who was the first Jackie Robinson for black wrestling, he, the amount of racism and crap he had to go through, incredible. But then the TV era from about 57 through 63 was Dory Dixon, Boba Brazil, Sailor Art Thomas, who I think was born in Wisconsin, and uh, Sweet Daddy Seeky from Ontario. They were like a clique. They worked for Fred Kohler in that televised show from Chicago, the Marigold Arena that was huge on the uh, Dumont Network that really put wrestling on the map. As, uh, it was number one rated, nightly wrestling. But they also worked as a unit for Vince McMahon Sr. in the Gold Dust Trio, uh, you know, Capital Sports in the Northeast against the likes Rogers crew. Rod, Buddy Rogers had a clique of all heels, Magnificent Maurice, beautiful... Uh, uh, Bobby and, uh, and Hansel, let's see, and also Billy, Billy Darnell and then Johnny Valentine was part of it. And Bobby Davis managed all of them. And then they would, you know, pose a lot of the, these guys. So anyway, uh, Dory uh, Dixon was, was huge. And uh, I, I'm not sure how I got off of it. See, that's what happens when you turn 65. Well, uh, sidetrack, Dr. Mike, you mentioned your appearance uh, briefly on a uh, busted open. I want to ask why I'm thinking of it. Did Mark ever get a hold of you about those pictures and such? Uh, Mark, well, because I sent Taz and Bully Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley, uh, a shot uh, that I took. I was like the only guy with the balls when I'd get through Pro Wrestling Illustrated in my Japan bags. I was the only guy ever to write and shoot for both Gong, which is long gone, at Yakuza Scandal, Weekly Gong, and its competitor still around, Shukan Pro Baseball. Shukan means weekly. So 
that weird that the word baseball is in the title of a wrestling magazine, but that's anyway, uh, I was allowed to, you know, I had full access. So I was like the only guy, Napolitano was always polite and, and never pushy. I said, fuck it, I'm going to shoot backstage. And I shot Mark Henry and Dwayne Johnson, 97, talking over their upcoming bout, not against each other, but with Pat Patterson. And so I sent a low res shot to uh, Taz and Bully Ray. They sent it to Mark. I can't remember. I, I hope they they told Mark that I shot it, but he wants all my photos for his book or because I, I took a ton of them backstage and through the ring until, you know, when the hard high def cameras came into play, all of us, you know, were banned from ringside, including Jimmy Suzuki and all of that. So now we're stuck shooting at the hard camera with tripods. Yeah. Well, the only reason I say that is because Mark's a friend of the show. I want to make sure you two get connected since I heard that episode. Mark but anyway, Henry? yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I will make sure you guys get connected. Anyway, that's here and there. Back to Mr. Hero. I mentioned before about you doing appearances and stuff with guys, and you told a story how it started with your store and such. But you were involved a lot that I have seen over the years, getting guys bookings for independent shows and everything else like that. So obviously, I'm not the IRS. I don't care. Not my yeah. business. But how did can you tell this how it works for you in terms of booking talent in terms of making sure everything goes smoothly because sometimes you get yeah. these fly by note promoters how oh, we can do this this and that and you hear the train wreck stories yeah so for me basically i don't charge booking fees these are my buddies yeah. i want to make sure that they get from town to town safely that the promoter they're going to work with that, that they can trust. They know the money's going to be there. And, and here's how it works. I don't charge fees because I know that I, when they come in for my shows, I'll always get a better price. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it, it's just, we just look out for each other that way. And, um, you know, so I make the introduction. I make sure that the, that the one promoter's good. I'll do some research on them, see how their shows are, who they've worked with in the past, that kind of stuff. Because um, for me, I've never really gone to other indie shows across the country until one time I took a road trip with Al. He's like, you got to come with me sometime. And I was like, oh my God, how do you do this? How do you just hop in a car with somebody you don't know and just hope that that person has a driver's license or has insurance on their car, you know, and that you're not going to go to a roach motel where you're going to stay. He's like, we don't know any of that. He goes, that's why it's boring coming to work for you because we don't have any stories like that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, for me, I was like, well, okay, well, I'll help you guys make sure that at least the money's going to be there. And, uh, you know, that's how it is. And, and for me, I'm now the old guy. I've been around so long, you know, it's, it's very flattering that, you know, um, if, if I call a promoter that they've heard of me or they saw the pro wrestling report or, or whatever else, where they've been to a shenanigans party. So immediately there's some respect there. So when we do try to figure out what's best, what's the right fee, because I look out for both ends of it. Because for me being a promoter, I know what number I have to be at to make money. And I also know what and the talent has to be at. So I can listen to the gripes of the, of the promoters saying, hey, I only have X number of dollars and I have to get X, Y, and Z. And I get that. So I can then explain that to the talent and say, hey, they want to bring you in, but here's the thing, you know, because one of the things promoters don't think of is 
always look up the airfare first before you book a talent. You may get a talent at a great price, and then you go to book the airfare, and it's eight hundred dollars. Well, now you're now you're not ahead. So I always tell everybody, look at the airfare first. Here's where they're flying out of. See if it can work. Because if it's not, then let's go to Plan B. So it, it's just it's just little things like that that I do to help the promoter and of course the talents. Uh, I don't do as much booking the talents anymore because there's so many more talents out there and now more talents have their own agents and whatever else. Um, so I'll, I'll just try to point them in the right direction if anything. Well, and with that being said, with the money stuff and all, I'm curious to know because wrestling is a different beast in terms yeah. of what they do. And obviously, like you said, you can speak from the promoter side of things. But it's a different beast where do you, how would you explain how talent, especially on the independent scene, if you have some name value and such? Mm-hmm. And I've heard Al tell this story about what your worth is. But how does a talent decide on what they are worth to get for a booking? Because obviously you don't want to outprice yourself to not get any bookings but also you want to make you think you know how do you find that worth well it's so weird because now since covid and all these uh virtual signings and stuff that have been going on prices have gone through the roof on talents i mean guys that were normally getting 750 are now getting 1500 you know the ones that were 2500 are now getting four to five grand just because there's more covid money out there but normally, um, it would depend on how, how long you've been off of TV is a big part of it. You know, when, when, when someone comes off of TV, of course, every promoter wants to book them because they're fresh off TV. I see that a lot on the East Coast. You guys overpay on everybody, which is <laughs> insane. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's like with, within a month, that talent has been to like 19 different cities on the East Coast. Um, but normally for me, it's like, you know, they, they come off TV, they're between two and three grand normally. And then after six months, it drops to 1500 a year later, it's about a thousand, you know, but it really depends on how hot that talent was when they were on TV. Like somebody on a Kevin Nash, he's been consistent because he was a top guy. Um, you know, other talents that have just been released from WWE, that may or may not have like, you know, a John Morrison. I'm sure, I don't know what he's getting. I'm sure he's going to be between 2,500 and three grand right now because he was close to that before he went back. So, I mean, every promoter, it depends on your market and the promoters, they actually do dictate the marketplace because there's a lot of talents out there that aren't getting booked every week because they're too expensive. And what the talent has to realize is they could ask for whatever they want and they may get it. But let's say whatever talent they want, $3,000, $5,000 off of TV. Well, and the promoter can only get, let's say, 300 people in that building. Okay. Well, why would the promoter do that? He's not going to make his money back. And then what's going to happen is, oh, yeah, I paid X for this guy and I didn't make my money back. And that's going to spread through, you know, online. So, I mean, there's just so many different variables for me. I've been spoiled because over the years I've gotten guys at great prices, you know, uh, just because they were off TV and there weren't other options. There wasn't an AEW or an impact 
you know, or virtual signings and privates and comic cons, whatever else, where the guys would just take whatever they could, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, a, I know I'm going in a big hamster wheel on, on, on the answer, but there really is no science to it. I mean, it's, you put a guy in a poster, how many tickets do you think you can sell because of, because of that poster? Uh, for me, I knew putting Adam Share on my poster, I was going to sell out that building because a year ago, he's beating Bill Goldberg for the universal title at WrestleMania. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and at the time, and right now, there is no bigger star available for the independents than formerly known as Braun Strowman, Adam Share. There is nobody. Let me ask something quickly, too, because uh, Braun did a, a separate video project, uh, and you might have been involved with EC3. Yeah. I think it was it was a very positive thing to uplift people. Were you involved with that? No, no, I wasn't. I mean, uh, EC3 and Braun told me about it. It's the Control Your Narrative series where right. he, like, takes the shackles of Braun Strowman off of his shoulders, and now he's a free man again, and he found himself and he, and he had to kill that monster to move forward, you know? So what EC3 and Adam are doing is some pretty creative and interesting stuff. And um, hopefully they get the right people behind them and they get to push that project because uh, they did a seminar prior to Blizzard Brawl for about, I want to say 10, 10 up and coming wrestlers. And I've sat in a lot of seminars, whether it be Dustin Rhodes, Billy Gunn, Jim Ross, Al Snow, Rikishi, and you take something new from every one of them. And I took a lot of new stuff from EC3, just regards of in-ring presence and selling and how you have to adapt with the social media as well. And uh, just, they get it, they understand. And with the social media following that Adam has right now, he has over, I think it's 1.6 million on his Instagram and close to a million on Twitter. That's a pretty big voice to have as far as getting a new project up and running. And another quick thing on back to the other topic. Uh, there's a NorCal, infamous NorCal promoter, always up uh, Brett's butt, but he had Owen there. And I was constantly driving Owen and Jeff Jarrett and Deborah McMichael around when they were with the WIF. Mm-hmm. The year that was 96, something like that. And... Uh, Owen was contracted. He was brought in by this guy who had Brett in a million times and booked Brett around the, the country, but always took a huge cut. And he was dealing with Marks who didn't know better. Uh, but Owen uh, was contracted to do a, a, a signing and then uh, like 50 extra eight by 10. So this guy could sell it in his store. Mm-hmm. So he gets done with the 50 and I'm going to haul them to the airport. And, and the promoter goes, can you do another 50 or 75? You know, I have them right here. Can you just do it while I have you here? And Owen said, no, he held his ground. I was really proud of him. He was, he said, you're going to flood the marketplace with my signature and devalue the value of it. And he yeah. just said, no. And he was really pissed. He never worked for the guy again. And Brett has, but mm-hmm. You know, you, you see that a lot on there. So I don't know if you've had to deal in, in your heyday with the super agents like Barry Bloom, who was right behind Barry Blaustein the whole time for Beyond the Mat. Have you had to deal with those kind of agents uh, in any way? No, no. Uh, fortunately for me, because the relationships that I have with a lot of the talents, I just pick up the phone and call them directly. And, and some of them do have those kind of agents. But like I said, I've been around for you know 25 years now it's kind of like they know what they're getting and they know that when they land i'm going to pick them up the airport 
I'm going to hand them an envelope right when they get in the car and, you know, it's, it's going to be business. So, yeah, it's no, amazing. I, you have that very rare quality in a despicable at times business of being well-known, a pristine rep, honesty and all of that. And the boys all love you. The talent all loves you. And, and you know, that's why, you know, something even last minute, they'll drop what they're doing and come in. So it's really phenomenal. And I'm, I'm very flattered. I'm yeah. very flattered by all that. And I, and it's trust true. me, you know, I appreciate it more than they would ever know because I've seen how filthy the wrestling business can be. All the carnies that are involved. And I'm like, gosh, it's just, it's amazing. Is that name look familiar? Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Poor poor Cosro, Iron Cheek. Cosro was at this thing. I want to ask David if he heard about the infamous 2007 Cow Palace. So for me being around wrestling, shooting it for the mag since 66, it was the worst thing I had ever seen the biggest ripoff. It was a three-day thing with wrestlers and all kinds of shows like Ring of Honor came out, TNA sent out talent, but wisely, I forget uh, who the, it wasn't Ross Foreman, it was the other guy before him, Bill Barons, made sure they got paid up front by this husband and wife promoter team. Nobody could vet, Dave. They, they, nobody knew who they were. This guy was claiming he was a cop shot in the line of battle. He wanted to put on this huge thing and he had Goldberg and Austin on the third and last day with China there. I went out and warned them. So the so three-day thing starts on Friday. The, the talent started feeling iffy about this guy. Piper got his money Saturday morning of this three-day thing only because he KO'd the guy in the hallway of the hotel there, the uh, SFO uh, Sheridan. And uh, anyway, the, the husband and wife promoters fled with the cash box meant to pay the wrestlers and the MMA guys who were having a show the following day, Sunday. They fled that Saturday night across California state lines into Nevada we couldn't get them, uh, but a guy who was sort of like we lost him, Scott Epstein, sort of like Dave. Yes, uh, he flew himself out, said he would help me because I said I really smell a rat here. And Meltzer was calling me uh, a couple of times a day to give my reports on this thing. He didn't come to it, but what happened was, uh, as you might have heard, the promoters once they got to Nevada, they canceled all the return flights for all the wrestlers. I'm talking quality people terry funk harley race bockwinkle iron sheik nikolai volkov greg valentine beefcake ed leslie you know just a wealth so the only folks that got paid were like the dudleys and the folks from tna abyss who you know chris and the shark boy and uh, and then uh, piper himself who then refused to do he was going to do a piper's pit thing in his one-man show he refused to do it uh, but there were a lot of other things behind it. And, and they also canceled the hotel room uh, to get all that money back for that last night. So I'm in the lobby. I get there at 3 a.m. I lived across the bay, drive over across the Bay Bridge. And Francine, who can tell you, a wealth of talent was sleeping that last night in the hotel lobby, couches, floors, everything. Yeah, it, yeah it, that, that was a complete disaster. I think that's when Lex Luger had his stroke was yep, up there for that. Yep, he had you his know? stroke. He was so stressed out by what was going on there. He knew he could smell a rat. And it, it was so just a wealth of talent. None of the Ring of Honor guys got paid. It yeah. just, and we're talking class guys, Austin Aries, you know, greatest talent. Yeah. I, I, I remember watching all that happening. And I'm like, because, you know, at the time, I, I I was doing some of the bigger shows at the time, you know, here, here in Milwaukee, I'm thinking, I know what my limitations are. And I'm thinking what they're doing is such a huge deal. It's like, how is there that much money 
that they can pull all this off, you know, and, and that ruined it for a lot of promoters for a long time because, you know, there are so many people that got burned. They didn't trust anybody. And Scott Epstein, he was a prince. Yep. He was a great human being. And him and I spoke many a times about that. Um, he, he, even I'm not sure if Georgie Ann was still alive then or not, but I know that that they were doing everything they could to try to fix that. Um, where even Epstein came back with boxes full of promo pictures for the boys to make sure they would at least get eight by tens or something out of it. But yeah, that was a complete disaster. It was. He went with me because the Cow Palace, where it occurred, of San Francisco, sat amidst three county lines. So I had to go press charges in Daly City, South San Francisco, and Brisbane. Three, and he went with me, uh, as did um, the African-American guy who was part of Crime Time who passed away. Such a Shad. good guy. Yeah, Shad. Gaspar. Mm-hmm. He went with me and Scott, and, and now I've lost those two guys, but they went with me. Shad stayed on, and uh, yeah, it was something else. So I was going to introduce you, too, is like, we lost George Amacropolis about 10 years ago. And at that, you might've been there at uh, at uh, Mike Bucci's high spots around WrestleMania, whatever year that was, 10 years ago. I made up these little badges because I was rooming with Sam Martino, Bruno, longtime friend. Anyway, I'm with Georgie or something of that effect. And we all had that. And I was going to introduce you. David Hero is like the second incoming of George Amacropolis because he you know, has context with the fans, the talent, the companies. Last question, how, and then I'm throwing back to Jonathan, how do you time budget? Do you watch all of the shows? How do you time budget these shows? Three hours on Monday, two hours Tuesday, two great hours of AEW tonight, Wednesday, Thursday, then Friday, we've got two hours of SmackDown, an hour of AEW Rampage. And that's not including the Ring of Honor shows, if you're watching the repeats, the NWA, MLW's, triple a or excuse me well, how do you buy time budget all that you know to be honest for me since i stopped doing the pro wrestling report with damien um i haven't had to watch and the stuff i have watched it's been very difficult for me to watch because as you know as we get older they're not writing for us anymore they're writing for a completely different audience and uh for me i have a, just a hard time investing that much time into something I don't enjoy. So I follow a lot of the shows along live on Twitter. So if I see something I like, then I'll put it on. But for me, as far as the only show I'm truly invested in weekly is watching OVW because my son is down there. And those kids are fantastic. I love them like they're my own. So I watch them to give them my pointers or advice or my thoughts and whatever else. But uh, I haven't watched a full episode of raw or smackdown or AEW in, in in probably a couple months you know and i still have all my friends that are there and i talk to them about what they're doing so i know what to watch for when they're going to be on to see what they're doing but there there's no more stars in wrestling anymore you know i think john cena truly was the last big star of pro wrestling and i don't you know roman reigns is amazing he's fantastic he's not john cena and uh, same with Brock Lesnar. You know, he's an attraction. But as far as that crossover appeal, it's going to wind up on the cover of TV Guide or People Magazine or on the Tonight Show. Wrestling doesn't have one of those right now. 
Oh, I want to say this about your shirt. I used to promote and do stuff a lot with Gene Oakland, obviously not as close as you were, but I have a ton of different Bite uh, Burgers merch. Remember his uh, chain? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Gene was one of my absolute favorite people to be with. Uh, I had many a cocktails with him, especially in Las Vegas at Cauliflower Alley. And uh, just when, when we lost him, we lost an icon in pro wrestling. Because he was the one guy that connected everything, you know, from the from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. He was there for everything that was great in pro wrestling. And, and at, at his age of, I believe he was 73 when he passed, he was still sharp as a tack. And he could recall everything. And, and as you know, his stories were always fantastic. Uh, they, just how he started wrestling, uh, Marty O'Neill, who was a legendary announcer for AWA for Vern went on strike. The TV studio went on strike or something like that. And Vern plucked him from the radio station, um, you know, briefing, yeah. making this short. And that's how he got involved. Uh, and, you know, Marty O'Neill was kind of toast. He was so old school, 50s and 60s, the guy I'd love because that was my era. But man, yeah, what what a God Oakland was. And uh, were you at the Cauliflower Alley? I, I was given three days. A guy canceled out on his daytime seminar. This was about six years ago. And this was the year we got Lance Russell. I'd nagged Lala. Yes, yes. Lance Russell. And yep. so I thought, what can I do that I want to outdraw the, the prior biggest attendance, which was after one-man show thing. And I go, I'm going to call this the greatest voices in wrestling. So I had on the dais, I had Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, Lance, Gene, Okerlund. Yeah, I was there for that. Finkel yeah. was in the back. Uh, Heenan came in and out because he couldn't speak. He was in that wheelchair. But we had Otto Maivia and Jerry Briscoe. And also on there was Pepper Martin, a guy who was the first color commentator in wrestling for not one, but two territories, LA and San Francisco in the late 60s. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, but, and Finkel, it, it was, it was, I think, the last CAC we saw, Howard as well. Um, but yeah, the Okerlund was the greatest. He was. And, oh, he was. He was amazing. Uh, Jonathan, I'll let you well, get over it. I will wrap with this. And obviously, we talked about a successful show, raised money, all that good stuff with a Blizzard Brawl. But what, and I know we're coming up on the holidays and such, but what is next for David Hero as far as wrestling is concerned? You know, I'm going to keep doing shows. Um, really, I was done doing shows a, you know, a few years ago. That's why Tommy Dreamer and House of Hardcore took over the Blizzard Brawl uh, brand. And because I was done, uh, Damian Nelson and I, when we did the Pro Wrestling Report, Damian got promoted to executive uh, VP of entertainment for Six Flags. So that wiped him out of having time to do the show. I'm like, you know what? We've done everything there is to do. Two guys that started off doing a show on ESPN radio, then in the in the Milwaukee area, um, it, it, it's like a local access studio to wind up on Sinclair. I'm like, what a run. We've done more than we ever should have. And then Cal wants to become a pro wrestler. So I'm going to keep running shows for as long as Cal wants to wrestle because I want to make sure he's on the right shows, the good shows in front of the right people. I uh, can learn as much as he can, but, you know, I'll be doing shows all next year. We're already planning our shenanigans party with Kevin Nash in Dallas. That'll be on Friday, April 1st. If you go to shenaniganspartycom that's going to be a, a big event. We'll be at WrestleCon 
with uh, a bunch of different talents in Dallas as well. And then um, I'll be doing Great Lakes Championship Wrestling shows. And you can find all those at blizzardbrawl.com. And we start back up the new season again in January. So for me, I do a one full calendar year, build to Blizzard Brawl, and then we start over again in January. And if you want to follow him on Instagram, the David Hero with two R's, as Dr. Mike mentioned, there's also yes. at David Hero on Twitter and Blizzard Brawl on Twitter. And yes. because he mentioned his son again, wrestling and booking shows, what's the word? Uh, nepotism? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, all can no, good. The kid's good. Yeah. yeah, you know what? You know what it is. Is Cal is an old soul. Uh, he's nineteen. Technically, he should have been graduating high school this year. He graduated last year, unfortunately, during COVID. But he's the he's he's he just he's an old school wrestler. He doesn't do dives. He doesn't do flips. You know, he models a lot of his stuff after you know Kurt Henning and Ricky Morton. You know, he loves to sell. He likes to make the heel look great. You know, whatever. And he's just having fun. And what I told him when he started, I said, I don't care if you do this for two days, two weeks, two months, or two years. This is your journey. Do not do this because you think you have to. Do this because you want to. I said, because of how you grew up in this business, you will have plenty of opportunities. A lot of doors will be open for you. But you also have to realize with that, there will be a bullseye on your chest and on your back. Everyone's going to think, oh, oh, that's Dave Hero's kid. He's getting all the favors and preferential treatment. I go, which you will, but you better work hard to prove that you belong there. And I'm not saying it because he's my kid, but he has busted his ass nonstop. He goes to class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays at OVW. He has TV on Thursday. He's in the gym five or six days a week. And he watches a lot of old Memphis with Al you know, uh, during the week. So he's a, a student of the game and he has been blessed by having guys like Billy Gunn or Kevin Nash or Road Dog or Gold Dust or Scotty Tuhati or whoever calling him, critiquing his matches with him. He's getting a Harvard education uh. in wrestling psychology is what he's getting. And when you were describing that and all kidding aside, I think of something I heard Garth Brooks say during the documentary that came out last year. There's with all that when it comes to your son, you got the blessing and the curse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Make sure you follow David Hero. Check out his shows if you happen to be in the Milwaukee Midwest area. David, thank you so much. Oh, uh, my pleasure. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you. So impressed. Thanks for doing it too, because it was kind of last minute. I heard about that. I go, I got to have David on and find more about what makes him tick and such an honor. And as I said at the start, you contribute and give back to the business and, and help the talent where they need it. It's just, it's so impressive. And I, I'm sure the whole industry celebrates you and uh, we thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. 
Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne, and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio, and don't ever forget, I love you. 